2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 7 through 13 tonight. Our main focus is going to be on verse 12, though. That's where we're going to get all the meat of the message tonight, okay? For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So our focus tonight is going to be on verse 12, and the title of the message is, I am not ashamed. And you saw probably saw that in verse 12. But did you notice that back in verse 8, Paul tells this young man, Timothy, be not therefore ashamed, or be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. To be ashamed means to cover up, to, to have some feeling of shame or, or some sense of almost like embarrassment to where you don't want to acknowledge uh, this one, in this case, the testimony of the Lord Jesus. And it has this idea of covering it. You know, I, I've known people that have had really bad birthmarks before. And they were somewhat ashamed of the birthmark. It was almost embarrassing to them. So what would they do? They would avoid wearing a garment that would reveal the birthmark. I've known some that had them all down their arms, and so they would always wear long sleeves in order to cover the birthmark. They were ashamed of it. Uh, I've also known people who have tattooed themselves. And I know a guy who's in ministry right now, and he has tattoos that go from the bottom of his, right here at the back of his hand, all the way up his arms. He has the full sleeves on both sides. Those things he did after he was saved, but before he had grown to a point where he understood that that was not something that he should have done. And now he is absolutely ashamed of them. So you'll often see him, if you do see him, he wears his shirts all the way down to the end, and he always wears long sleeves to cover. And that's a personal thing. Certainly, I'm not being critical of anybody right now. I'm just giving examples. My old pastor from Asheboro was a Navy man. And you know, guys who were in the military... Um, they just always got tattoos and he had tattoos up and down his forearms and you know, he would never hardly, hardly ever, maybe not never, but hardly ever would he wear a short sleeve shirt because he wanted those to be covered. He was ashamed of. it. So the word ashamed has this idea of covering something. And here's what Paul says. Let me redirect our focus away from that to this. Paul says, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord And he's telling that to a young preacher. And then, look in verse 12, Paul says, I am not ashamed. And tonight I want to talk to you about this idea of not being ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
when we are ashamed of him, you know what it does? It, it, it's sort of like it, it, it almost stunts our tongue or stops our tongue to where we won't talk to people so openly about Jesus. We won't be open about our testimony. We will not witness. We'll be embarrassed to witness. We won't give out the track or invite the person to church or, or, or maybe have a lifestyle that is different than the rest of the world, and you do it because you want to glorify God. If you're ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll often cover that, that relationship you have with Him so that others don't see it. And Paul tonight says, I am not ashamed. And he tells Timothy, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now here Paul is saying this in verse 12, and what he tells us back in verse 8 is that apparently he's a prisoner right now. And so here he is in prison because of his work for Christ, but yet he's faithful to continue to preach the gospel, whether the world accepts him or whether the world rejects him, whether Jesus is the new fad or whether Jesus is unpopular. He says, I'm going to be faithful. I will not be ashamed of my Lord and Savior. I'm going to continue to to live my life for his glory. And what Paul does in verse 12 is I think he shows us why he's not ashamed. And I believe if any of us were to get on the same page as Paul tonight and understand the text uh, to our fullest capacity, that we too can live our lives not being ashamed of our Lord, but being proud of our Lord, wanting to glorify our Lord, wanting to give honor to our Lord. And so tonight as we move into verse 12, let me give you seven, it sounds scary, but seven things in the verse, but they're going to be very quick. And it'll be like, it's actually similar. I think last week we had a long passage of study that we, we went over. So let's look at verse 12 together and see what we can learn here from the Apostle Paul as we think about this idea of not being ashamed. If you will pick up in the very first part of verse 12, he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Now, for the which cause I also suffer these things. When you read a passage like that, you've got, to, you've got to remind yourself that he's told us something prior to this verse, and he's saying that I'm suffering now because of the things prior to what I'm saying right now. What are those things? Well, he tells us, verse 11, that he was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So he was faithful to do those things, to go out, to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel, to be a faithful servant of God. And he says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. I'm going through what I'm going through because of the fact that I am faithful to do what God has called me to do. Look what he says next, though, verse 12. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Though Paul is experiencing hard times now, as mentioned back in verse 8, he says, me, uh, his prisoner, basically saying that Paul was dealing with some struggles right now. He was telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of me because I've been, I've been caught up into some trouble. But he's saying, no, I am here in this situation because I am being faithful to the ministry. And he says, despite my circumstances, I'm not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Now, verse 12. Uh, Again, he says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Look what he says, for I know whom I have believed. Now, we all know there's a great song out there, and maybe Mr. Isaiah, Brother Isaiah can sing that for us a little later on. I'm not going to do it up here. But there's a great song out there that comes from this passage. But the first part that I want you to notice that Paul says, I know. He had some knowledge about something. 
And that's the first thought here that I think gets us to a place of not being ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew who Jesus was. It wasn't a question to him. Paul was not a man that you were going to go to and say, Paul, who is Jesus to you? And then he would come up with some idea that was maybe partially out of the Bible, but most of it was just sort of hearsay or folklore. No, he absolutely knew who Jesus was. He knew him. He had knowledge of what Jesus had done and what Jesus was doing. He was aware. He knew the one that he believed in. You know, Scripture brings much knowledge to us. Look with me. We're in 2 Timothy, so just go to chapter 2 and look at verse 15. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is very crucial for all of us to become students of the Bible. No matter what your educational level is, I guarantee you God can help you in some way or the other to understand what he wants you to understand from this Bible. Now, it might be through audio Bible. It may be through reading. I know people have different, uh, different ways of reading. But nonetheless, the Word of God is here for our benefit, for us to study and to learn so that we won't be ashamed. The other one is go to 2 Timothy 3.16. That one says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, meaning it's God-breathed, it's important, and is profitable, it's going to bring success into our lives, it's profitable for doctrine, there's the successful part, it'll help us to be right when it comes to doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works." Scripture brings knowledge to me so that I don't need to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. If my relationship with Christ begins at some preacher telling me the gospel and I receive the gift of salvation, and then it, and then it sort, of, sort of teeter-totters in this idea of occasionally I'm going to church and picking up a little truth, but I never become a student of God's Word myself, well, it's so easy to become ashamed because you don't know one way or the other who Jesus is. You know him as Savior at the beginning, but who else is he? Is he a tyrant? Is he, is he full of hate? Is he full of love? Is he, is he more than Savior? Is he King of kings, Lord of lords? Is he the coming um, uh, one who will reign in the future? Is he going to return? See, all these things, when you know them, they build confidence and when confidence is there, you don't need to be ashamed. So Paul here tells us, verse 12, for I know whom I have believed. Do you know the Lord tonight? And if you don't, you can know him through studying his word. And as 2 Timothy 2.15 said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. You don't have to live your Christian life ashamed. Now let's go back to verse 12 in chapter 1. For I know whom I have believed. Now there's a second part. Not only does Paul know something, but Paul also believes in something. What he knew, he believed. He put his faith in it. He, he believed in it. Um, it. It became his reality. Go over to John chapter 3 with me. When you believe in something, it, it will motivate you to act a certain way. And when you don't believe in something... <laughs> It also will not motivate, it won't motivate you to act a certain way. Belief is very powerful, and belief can come from knowledge. 
Go to John chapter 3, look in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Belief is very powerful. Think about how powerful that is based on that verse right there. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Being condemned means that when we're born into the world, he's referring to the fact that when you're born into the world, every person who's born into the world is already condemned to a devil's hell. There's, there's no release from that. That's the destination of everyone who is born into the world. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. They'll be forever separated from God unless Christ steps in. But the power of belief is that it can change the outcome of your eternal home. And what I mean by that is heaven or hell. And what he says here is, he that believeth on him is not condemned. You can be delivered. But he that believeth not, he's condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So do you see how valuable believing is? And the thing about Paul is Paul not only knew something, but Paul believed what he knew. And sometimes we can be guilty of, of knowing something, but do we actually believe it? When you believe it, it affects you. When you believe in Jesus, it affects you. When you believe God is holy, boy, that affects you. When you believe that God wants us to be a certain way in this world, children of light, not children of darkness, that affects you. But if it's only knowledge and it's just something I know, but I don't actually believe it, well, it's no wonder that we find we can be guilty of being ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ because we don't believe. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. There's another part to it. Go back to that verse with me again. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For I know whom I have believed. And watch this. And am persuaded. That word persuaded means Paul has confidence in him. He trusted. Not only did he know and believe, but he also he trusted. Paul trusted Jesus because he knew something about him. And what he knew about him, he was willing to believe what he knew. Now, you know, that takes faith. It takes faith. Some things about God, I, I've never seen. The Bible says God spoke all things into existence. Now, I know our scientists, our secular world would speak about it in ways of gases and, and time and all these effects going on in physics, and that created all things. And that's how they explain it. But God says he spoke it into existence. There's a difference between knowledge and belief. And what I have to do is get to a place where I am willing, I am persuaded that what God says is in fact what God means and that I'm willing to put my faith in it. Though I, did, I didn't see it, I didn't see it happen. I wasn't there when God spoke and said, let there be light and there was light. He said, let the, uh, let the waters be divided from the waters, the firmament all being created, the land being brought up and all that sort of stuff. I wasn't there. But what does Paul say here? He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. He trusted in what God was going to do, what God had said, and what he knew about him. His confidence was settled in Christ. Look what, and, and really when he's speaking to Timothy here, he sort of tells Timothy what God has done. This builds confidence. Go back to verse 8 of chapter 1 again. Verse 8 says, Be not, therefore, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. 
But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Every time you share the gospel, every person you speak to will not be happy with what you're telling them. Actually, a lot of times they'll, they'll probably reject what you have for them the first time. Maybe the second time, maybe the third time. I don't know. So there's going to be some afflictions that come along with the gospel. But should we stop sharing the gospel because people get offended or they try to offend us? No. Because the power of God is in the gospel, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And so therefore, we should never be ashamed of it. But look what Paul describes. Look at verse 9, how he talks about what God has done. And therefore, because of that, Paul says, I am persuaded. Verse 9, who hath saved us? God has saved us. God has given us salvation. Something that no one of this world could do. Nothing in this world could do, but God himself has saved us. Look what else. And he also called us with a holy calling. When God saved us, God did not save us to leave us in the, the sin of the world, but God saved us so that he might sanctify us unto holiness. It's a holy calling that God has put upon our lives after we've been saved. He goes on to say, not according to our works. Did you know that you were not able to do anything to save yourself? There's no works that we've done for salvation. Hold your place in Timothy and just jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. Real quick, that's to the left there. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is one of the reasons why I've been known to harp on water baptism in the past. Because some people get water baptism confused with salvation. And the two are so different. You know, the Bible teaches us that salvation is nothing that we can do of our own strength. We can't do it because there's no work that you and I could ever do that could make us right with God to save us. And therefore, if water baptism was a way to salvation, then that would be a work. And then it would go against what the Bible teaches here, which is for by grace are you saved through faith. Faith gets us right with God. Not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now go back to Timothy again. Look at verse 9. He points out, he's telling, uh, Paul's telling Timothy, he says, who hath saved us, that's God, he saved us. He's called us with a holy calling. He's got a plan for our lives. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be clean. He wants us to pursue His ways, not the world's ways. He says, not according to our works. You, you and I did not bring ourselves into good relations with God. And it's not going to be according to our standards that we will be right with God. But it's actually according to His own purpose and grace that keeps us right with God, that helps us to walk in His in, in his way. Look what it says. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's a long time ago. God must be pretty smart to have decided that this would be the way. This would be, this would be the, um, the path, the purpose that we would have if he was able to establish it before the world began in his son, Jesus Christ. 
And I believe that each one of us, though we only live in 2022, each one of us was in the mind of God even back then. And he knew where we would be and where we are now. And here's the thing Paul's pointing out. He's saying, how could I not trust in one who knew about all of this before we ever got here? And therefore, I know whom I've believed and am persuaded. I trust in him for what he's done. He goes into verse 10. Watch this. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God himself manifested among us through Jesus, who hath abolished death. God did that. And hath brought life. God did that. And immortality to light. God did that through the gospel. God did all that. So if God does all these things, and all these things are, are, are wonderful, nothing I could do in my own strength, then it just goes without saying that wouldn't it be a wise thing to be persuaded, to, trust, to be able to trust in what God is able to do. And therefore, when Paul points that out, he's saying, I know, I believe, and I trust, and therefore I'm not ashamed. Now look at the next one here. Go back to verse 12 with me. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. He is able. This is a wonderful word right here. It's the word dynatos, which is, is it comes from the root word uh, dynamé, which is where we get our word dynamite from. It has this idea of power, dynamite type power. And I've never played with a stick of dynamite. Maybe some of you guys out here who are wilder than me, you have. But I've seen the explosions on TV. I've heard tell of people being able to drill a hole in a rock and drop a stick of dynamite in there, and it will blow that rock to smithereens. Okay? I know it's got power. And here Paul uses a word right now, and he says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able that he has power. And what that tells us is that not only did Paul know, believe, and trust, but I believe it also tells us that he surrendered everything to the power of God. He surrendered. He's able. See, our problem often, humanity's problem, is that we try to do a lot of things in our own strength, and we put too much confidence in ourselves to build our own lives, to build our own... um, our own fortunes, to keep our own health intact. We're putting too much confidence in ourselves. Now, is it, is it good to work hard? Sure. Is it good to store up maybe a little money on the side to be prudent and thoughtful about the future? Yeah, sure. It's fine to do that. Is it smart to take care of your body and have good health? Sure it is, but that can't become your God because the power is in God. The power is not in us. And what Paul's pointing out is he's saying that I know whom I've believed and am persuaded that it's him who is able, in Paul's case, to deliver him from prison, if so be it. To deliver him from a shipwreck, if so be it. To deliver him from the persecution of his peers, the Jews who persecuted him, stoned him, tried to stone him to death. Hey, it's, it's, it's that one that's able. He's got that dynamite power, and I'm persuaded. I trust in him, and therefore, I'm just going to surrender it all to him, and I'm going to stop trying to do it all in my own strength. You know what happens? The great thing that happens is that as you live your life that way, and you stop trying to do everything in your own strength, and you actually trust in God, and you surrender to the Lord, and you say, Lord, it's going to be you because you're the one who's got the dynamite power, what happens is you start seeing God active in your life. 
And when you start seeing God active in your life, you can't help but not be ashamed of God because he reveals himself in such a wonderful, profound, and mighty way. When Marie and I first started growing closer to the Lord in our 20s, prior to that, we never talked about the Lord in the house. Nothing was, no credit was ever given to God in the first part of our marriage. We never said, man, the Lord really blessed. Man, the Lord really did. The, the Lord did this. It was just, it was us. I was pursuing a career in graphics. Maria was, um, um, at that time, was it Joe what? Or the other, or uh, Lazy Boy. Lazy Boy. She was with Lazy Boy at the time, which uh, she was helping out in the office and all. But we had a career path. We were going down. You know, we never once talked about, man, God's really helped us. But as we began to grow spiritually, we began to understand some of these, these truths about it's God who's the power. It's God who's active. It's God who makes all things better. That when all that started to happen, I noticed that our conversation switched from, you know, we're so lucky, we're so fortunate, we're so this, to we are absolutely blessed. God has been moving in our lives. The Lord has given me this perfect job that fell in my lap. By the way, that did actually happen a job that I received that gave me close to, I think it was a 40% increase in pay at another place, which gave me a lot more opportunity from where I was, and I didn't even work for it. I had left some resume online, had been on there for a few years, and this lady just reaches out to me and says, hey, you want to make 40% more than you're making now? Everybody would say, yes, of course I do. And that was a time where I saw God working, and, and certainly His power is able. The dynamite power. He's able to do it. Paul here points that out, and he says, I'm just going to surrender, and I began to learn that surrender is the best thing. And I believe God was prepping me because when I was called into ministry, the big thing that God put on my heart was sell everything and have no attachments to anything. And when you've already lived in an area for 10 years, we were married for almost 10, well, nine years, going on 10 years. I'd been in our house for close to eight to nine years. And we're, we've established ourselves, and then God says, sell everything. You know, it makes you say, wait, wait a second, God. Market's not the best right now. I'm not going to make any money on this house. Lord, what am I going to do when I'm not around my family and I can't, you know, if, if we hit hard times, what are we going to do? What's going to happen, Lord? You're sending me out here in the middle of nowhere. I've never been to Poff Town. What is a Poff Town, you know? <laughs> But God had already prepped me up to that point. And I knew at that time the one that I believed in. And therefore, I was persuaded that he was able. And so it was nothing for me to surrender everything to him because I recognized God's the one with the dynamite power, not me. And that's something that when Paul, if you've ever studied the life of Paul, this is a man that went through quite a bit in his life. But wow, was he, he was such a man of faith, ready and willing to, to stand toe-to-toe with, with the, the biggest obstacle a person could be put before, and yet he would do it because he says, I know whom I've believed in and am persuaded that he is able. Look back at verse 12. For I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that he is able. We've got another thought here that he points out to us. He says that he is able to keep, to keep 
Now the word keep here, it refers to God guarding something. God's able to guard it, protect it, take care of it. And I believe what we learn from Paul, he, he knows something, he believes something, he's trusting, he's, um, um, he's um, trusting, he's surrendered. But now what we find is that he is, he is now submitting himself before the Lord. There's a difference. Surrendering is letting go, but submission is, is that's where you find the humility at. And he gets behind the guard of the Lord. He says that he's able to keep. You know what that means? If God's able to guard, well, I don't want to be out in front trying to fight my own battles all the time. I'm going to submit myself to his power. I've surrendered. Now I'm submitting. I'm going to get behind him. That's what it has to do with submission. When we think about in the Bible, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. It doesn't mean that you become the doormat of your husband. I know some people think that these days. We use the word submit. But it simply means wife, get behind your husband. He's the spiritual leader. You're going to follow him. When you and I are asked of God, he says, submit yourselves under my mighty hand. We're going to get behind God. We're going to let him lead us. He's going to be the leader. We're going to follow him. And Paul here, as he talks about the fact that the dynamite power of God, which is able, it's able to keep, it's able to guard. And I think in Paul's, in Paul's actions, what we find is if God's able to guard, Paul says, well, I'm getting behind God. I've just let him take care of the battle. I'll let him be the one who, who fights these battles for me. And if he lets me go into a situation that is hard, God must know that I can get through it. He knows that I'm that he can get me through it. And so he has him submitted, or Paul seems to recognize the power of God, and therefore he submits himself to the Lord. Head back over to Romans chapter 7 with me. Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 19. We have struggles in life. Paul had struggles himself. He was just a man. He wasn't... Um, anything but that. And in verse 19 of chapter 7, it says, For the good that I would do, I'm sorry, for the good that I would, I do not. He's saying, I wanted to do something, but I couldn't. I struggled with it. But the evil which I would not, that I do. I didn't want to do the evil thing, but I ended up doing the evil thing. I've got a battle going on. He goes on to the next one. Now, if I do that, I would not, meaning that I didn't want to do, it is no more I that do it, but it's sin that dwelleth in me. The sin is active in my life. It's a battle that we face. He says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. We all have that sin nature that we're constantly battling with. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The idea here is that there's a con there has to be a conscious decision to submit yourself to God, to get behind God in all things. There has to be a conscious decision. And Paul here, as we go back to our passage in 2 Timothy, Chapter 1, as he says, I know he's got some knowledge. I'm believing. I have some faith. I'm persuaded. I'm trusting that he's able, he's powerful to keep. 
He's recognizing that God, God can guard his life. God can take care of him and protect him. But what does Paul need to do? He needs to consciously submit every day to the Lord. The flesh doesn't want to submit. Your flesh won't want to submit. My flesh doesn't want to submit all the time. And it is a lifelong discipline to force yourself to submit to God so that God can be the one to guard and protect us in life and keep us, as Paul talks about here. But the outcome's so wonderful because as you do it, God continues to reveal himself to you in your life. And as you do that, you can look at God and you, need not, you don't need to be ashamed of him. And to others and to the world, you don't need to be ashamed because you know that he is active and able. Now let's look at our text again, verse 12. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. Now our next one for the word committed reminds us that Paul has invested himself in God. He's investing in God. He invested. He submitted. He invested. The word committed means to deposit something, to invest something. That's what it's talking about. And just as uh, we would think about it from a from a maybe a point of view of a bank or some type of business that you've invested in. Paul is saying, I have invested my life into God because of who he is. And like like as we would make a deposit in a bank, in this case, God guarantees there's a 100% guaranteed return on that investment. Paul here is investing in God Almighty. Now, what does it mean to invest in God? Go to Philippians with me. When he says, I have committed it to him, I've committed all things, what is he investing? Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, look with me in verse 21. And we are about done with our message tonight. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, Paul was saying that his entire life is invested in God because he knows who he believes in. He's persuaded that he's able to keep that which he's committed. So Paul's taking his life, the one thing that, as the Bible speaks about, is more valuable than all the riches and wealth of the entire world. Paul takes that one thing that is the most valuable thing that any of us have, and he says, I'm going to invest that in God. And I'm going to commit my life. To God. And as he does that, now what we find, we're finding that Paul is going to show us, as we go back to Timothy and we conclude the message, what is he, what is he looking out towards? If he's going to invest, you know, anytime you invest, I, thought of, I think about when I was younger and I began to invest in the 401k. This started at the mill that I worked at in Randleman. I was putting in money into this 401k account, but you know, that money, as I put it in there, I was not going to get it back in next week's paycheck. It wouldn't be next month's paycheck, next year's paycheck. It was going to be an investment for something that I would get many, many years down the road whenever I retired. I had to wait on it. And so Paul here is investing his life because he's looking out to when he's able to get that back when he's going to get that return on his investment. And look at verse 12, he tells us. He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And the last one we have here from Paul is that the reason why he was not ashamed 
is he was awaiting that day. What is that day? Well, in the book of Timothy, Paul tells us what that day is. Look at chapter um, chapter 4 with me. And pick up in verse 6. Paul says in verse chapter 4, verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul's not going on a trip just across the country. He's close to the point of death. I have fought a good fight, verse 7. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith, verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also, uh, all them also that love his appearing. All those who also are awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ, that special Paul's life was given to serving Christ. Christ was not just Paul's Savior. Christ was Paul's Lord, his King, his Creator. Christ was everything. That's why he said in Philippians, to live is Christ, but to die, well, that's gain. That's something where I actually get something. But right now, my entire life is just Christ, just that simple. It's just all Christ. But why could Paul say such a thing? It's because of the fact that he knew who he believed in. He had faith in the one who was able, who had the power to take care of him. And so therefore he invested everything in God and he invested in God expecting a great return on that day. And as the scriptures teach, that day is what we often will call the Bema Seat of Christ or the Judgment Day of Christ. Because Christians, we're not going to be judged for sin when we go to heaven. Sin was dealt with at the cross. Our sin is also then dealt with while we're here in this life. It's called chastening. When you and I die, we don't go before Christ and He judges us for sin. We go before Christ and He judges us for service. What have you done with the life that I gave you? And in Paul's case, Paul said, I'm investing it all in Christ. And I am not ashamed to serve my Lord and Savior, until I take my last breath. And I wonder tonight how many of us would say the same thing as Paul, to say that I am not ashamed to serve my Lord and Savior until I take my last breath. He's able. He's powerful. He's wise. He knew you and I would be here before the worlds began, and He's already had a purpose set out before us. And he has his own particular way that he wants us to live. And we have to give our lives to him in full surrender and submission. And all of it, I guess, is an investment is what I'm trying to say. It's an investment in that special day that is soon to come. Have you been investing in God? If you haven't, tonight would be a good night to start. Life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. And the clock's ticking and it's running out. And if you haven't given your whole life to the Lord, do it now.